Hello, welcome back to the Midlands Rugby Podcast. Phil, how you doing? I'm very well, mate. How are you? I'm good. As prepared as ever, I just asked you what episode number we're on. No fucking idea. Amazing. Here we go. It's a Wednesday. Um, we're here this week with a special guest, Dougie. Dougie, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm uh, not quite sure how special I am, but thanks for that. <laughs> well, I'm pretty bored of Phil every other Wednesday, so someone else to talk to. <laughs> oh, yeah, need to win that. <laughs> it's quite nice. Um, so, Dougie, if, if people are watching on YouTube, it's very clear you've got a Lincoln rugby hat on, but tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us how you got into rugby and tell us what you're doing now. Um, so I'm uh, currently in Lincoln now, so that, that's where I am uh, at the age of 38. Um, I'm the director of rugby there now. I started at uh, 11, I think 11, at, um, at school. I was introduced to rugby at school and then played school and team rugby. And that was back on the Wirral, uh, not a million miles from Liverpool, if people aren't quite sure. Um, so went to a really good rugby school, Coldy School. Um, played at Colby Club and Hoylake um, uh, went to university in Sheffield um, played university rugby over there uh, and then I joined the army so since 20, since I was 22 um, my rugby story has been flitting all over the place um, so um, Oxford Harlequins Wensleydale uh, Amped Hill um, Huntingdon, uh, literally all over, all over the place. Um, and this is my second stint in Lincoln now. So yeah, that's that's it. Amazing. So well travelled in the sense of rugby. Yeah, I think. Well, it's it comes with the job moving every two or three years or so. Um, that has pros and cons against it, but um, yeah, plenty of different styles of rugby seen in different parts of the country, which is which is good. Yeah, do you, as uh, this is going to be a proper nausea question now, isn't it? <laughs> as someone who's travelled around the UK uh, and seen lots of styles of rugby, do you try and build that different style, take bits of that different style of rugby you've seen and build it into your lads at Lincoln? Or... So, you know, if, if we take Gloucestershire, for example, where it is big, massive, heavy packs chunking around the pitch, um, the backs get a little bit of ball, but it's very set piece and forward dominated. Um, if a coach comes from there and tries to install that at Lincoln, he's going to fail. He will lose from day one because you have to be able to plan around the players that you have. So you have to exploit the skill sets that they have. And for me at Lincoln, we don't have a load of six foot six, massive hulking beasts who who can play that type of game. So I would have, if that was my style, I would have failed. What you can do is take aspects from the different coaches that you work with and pick the good things out of all of them, regardless of whether it's for a big team or small team, a slow team or a quick team. Um, you can take the bits from specific coaches. And I've been lucky to work with a lot of uh, skilled guys in the past. Phil, is that something you've done from your previous coaches? Because I know you've got a bit of a sketchy sketchy relationship with some of your previous coaches around... Uh... <laughs> with around one, it. yeah, just one. Um yeah, I have even even with you know maybe the one that I don't have the greatest relationship with. You know, you still take the the better parts of what they did, uh, and the drills they use, and their thoughts on certain aspects of the game. You still take them in and and understand that they were trying to do the right thing. Um, just maybe they were a terrible person. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think 
I think there's some things that you kind of know won't work. I think, you know, Dougie's made a good point about you, you can't you can't make people do things that they're just not capable of doing. Um, and Tom will know very well that as soon as I work out what people can't do, I normally throw it in the bin quite quickly, uh, <laughs> having harangued them for it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things you learn as a coach is, is what's going to work and at what level. You know, I coached at that one level and you could expect a certain quality and then you step down a bit. And to be fair to the previous lads, you know, skill-wise, we don't lack that much in the first team. It's just mine. It's just brains, isn't it? It's just, yeah, we just lack a lot of brain, yeah. <laughs> um, both of you in your, your... And this is because I love how Phil speaks to our cults coming up. If they don't listen to one thing he says, his famous line of, I'm not here to pack your fucking lunch, comes out very quickly in the huddle. How do you deal with young players? Are you as abusive as Phil is? I try and treat all of the lads exactly the same. So I don't want to mollycoddle a a young lad coming through. If if I think they can handle a bit of banter, then they'll they'll get it straight away because I want them to know what the situation that they're in. So me as the DOR and then the coaching group that I've got, we're all like quite gregarious characters, like a laugh, like to have a laugh with the boys. Um, myself being in the military, the head coach at the club is ex-military. There's some current RAF and um, former RAF lads. Who, so that type of banter is there constantly. So I think we get the lads into it pretty quick. Um, you have to taper it at the start, obviously, to see how they can deal with that. But as soon as I can lift the level, it goes up absolutely straight away. <laughs> I was going to say, there's two. Uh, there's rugby banter, which is, let's be honest, horrendous sometimes. And then there's banter from people that have been in or are in the forces. Fuck that for a mix. <laughs> you <you'd> terrify <laughs> some of our young lads. <laughs> similar, because there's a there's a similar ethos. There's a reason why in the military that rugby is such a uh, highly regarded sport. You know, all of the aspects of it that we talk about, cliches of communication and teamwork and all that, that is absolutely what we do in the military. So the the levels of banter can be very similar as well. So, yeah. The only time we get any crossover is when I'm giving, giving some of the raff lad shit because I'm in the army. And then the, the, the boys who've never been in the military are like, what, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Straight over their heads. <laughs> I try and minimise that. But it always slips out. I think it's true though that you know you, you you when these young lads come through and I know I am bad for it but I didn't get like the grace that a lot of them used to get you know yeah. I was thrown in very much at the deep end and literally had to fight my way into a position to, to to get what the accolades that I got I think like some of them just rock up and genuinely expect it all to be done for them or you know yeah. mum will organise how I'm going to get to the game or. Daddy all sort this out. I, I hate that. That's literally the the one thing I absolutely despise. Yeah. Um, and any sort of like comments like that, I'll just dive on straight away. Like we've got a group of lads, and they've, they've started taking it quite well actually, and and we call them the library club because <laughs> they're they're quite like they're obviously like the popular lads at school. Not many brain cells between them, to be fair, but they uh they they. they well talkative until they start playing rugby and they all go quiet. So they've been named the library club and 
Um, they've taken it quite well, to be fair, and they are genuinely improving as a group of lads. But um, it's just one of those things where you're like, they obviously just been babied basically all the way to 16, and then suddenly shit hits the fan when they do see any rugby. <laughs> they, yeah, they uh, go very quiet. Yeah, I mean, that, that transition pathway, it's from cult to senior is an issue for the RFU and every club across the country. Um, you know, I think, and it, it's not about um, how teams are managed and how coaches talk to players. It's about the number of people who move away from home and move to university and then don't necessarily pick up club rugby again. They might just play uni rugby or whatever other multitude of excuses there are to stop playing. It's um, that transition. I don't think there's a lot that we can do as coaches or DORs or whatever to really massively improve that. You might be able to improve it a little bit, but not massively. There's a there's just an ethos we have to accept, I think, and just try and do what we can. Definitely, definitely. I guess while we're here, and, and Dougie, I told you we wouldn't have anything to talk about, but um, since we last spoke, Tom, our mate's been fired. Oh my god, yeah. And as as a dear old dog, yeah, but you have you must have some stuff to do. I mean, we're English, we follow rugby, we all have two pence on Eddie Jones. Yeah. Uh, we might as well move away before we go into the Midlands rugby part of it. Yeah. I I we put out an episode, I don't know if you heard last time we did one. We put an episode and I was slating Eddie Jones. I don't normally slate him. And immediately mm. as I put it out, I was like, not sure I agree with myself there. I must have had yeah. a few whiskeys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as I am again tonight, so I might regret anything I say tonight. But that is uh, that's a bit of an interesting, interesting thing. I don't know what part we want to, you wanted to touch on through, but one thing I know other people have touched on in the press and what have you, and on other more reputable, reputable podcasts, is how much money it has cost to get Eddie out of a contract. How much money it could get if it is going to be Borthers. I mean, everyone's ninety five percent sure if it is going to be him. How much it's going to cost to get him in, plus his coach yeah. and staff. And then community rugby plus champ rugby and prem rugby really is is on its ass. Um, where where do you think? What do you think rugby can take away from this? Is it a case of the you OFU know, don't care? Because I think a lot of people probably think that at the minute. Um. So, it, my honest opinion is that the RFU don't care. That that is my opinion of. You know, if you're not a club that is feeding the England team, the RFU don't care. So much so that they've reduced funding to the championship because they've looked at the player pathways of England players over the last decade and gone, not many of these are coming through the championship. We're going to lower our investment down to, I think it's a quarter of a mil each club get from the RFU. Yeah, it's, year. Not, it's not even that anymore. It's 125. Is it? And you look at the state of the championship, even... Five years, six years ago, it wasn't the greatest. But now, where you've got a couple of rich teams who can afford to be fully pro, and then a couple of teams, well, the majority of the league who can't be fully pro and essentially are the same as Lincoln and, and you guys, where you train on a Tuesday and a Thursday and you, and you play on a Saturday. And I've been lucky enough to do a bit of work with Nottingham, with uh, with Hamo down there and seeing how they train. You, you can't compete with the big boys in that league. But for the RFU to... You know, they're not investing in the championship. They're not investing uh, as much in grassroots rugby anymore because they are, I believe, solely focused on feeding the England team. Um, and that's probably why they think they can spend so much money on getting rid of Eddie and maybe bringing Borthers and his team in. 
Um, and you know the rumours are that both us were signed from uh, from June on anyway. Whether that's true yeah. or not, we'll find out in time. But the you know the the GBR podcast talked about what that money could have been spent on, and they're absolutely right. The 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 number of facilities you could have put in place with that money, if it's true, if they're talking around potentially four million quid, it's it's just ridiculous. It really so, is. But as I say, I don't think the RFU were that bothered. To me, even if you went, do you know what? See, even if they went senior community rugby, fuck it, I don't care. If they had even just pumped some of that money into minis and juniors to then get them, I mean, I know there's a few clubs around. Midlands seems to be quite good at Midlands uh, at minis, especially and junior rugby. But just pump it into the lower parts, the younger parts of it, so people are interested in the sport. Because I think, and I was talking about it with a mate yesterday, I think the only reason the OFU still reach out to community rugby clubs is because they can go, right, here's 50 Twickenham tickets, 100 Twickenham tickets. You sell them. If not, give it back and uh, we'll make your money make money off you that way. I mean, all they want to do is get bums on sweet seats to Twickenham and they're not doing that very well because it's too fucking expensive. But it's just, yeah. I bet, but also to them, four million quid, it's probably not a lot of money in their heads because they've earned more, way more than four million quid over time <laughs> between them. Yeah. But you make a good point about the Twickenham thing because that is how they make the majority of their money, isn't it? You know, eighty thousand yeah. seats for that ticket price, and you know the the amount of beer that gets uh, drank down there. So mm. uh, yeah, you make a good point there. Yeah, and then, in terms so of the takeaway then from from the the value of buying him out of his contract, which I think is, I just I just don't understand why you would ever set up a contract like that. That. <laughs> Someone is shit at their job, so you'll pay them more than you're paying them to fuck yeah. off. I just don't get that concept. And I know it, it comes from football and it comes from the NFL. I um, spoke to my manager about it today. And she went, no, I've seen you perform. There's no buyout clause. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I tried it with my boss. Um, <laughs> and he was happy for me to leave. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's in terms of like the quality of the output of the England team, for lack of a better phrase. You know, what What do you think? I've made my opinions quite clear on here, but what were your thoughts? It, you've, got to, you've got to look at it with two hats on. So you, you look at it from a fan's point of view and with what we've got available in terms of coaching, player availability, player pool to pick from, etc. Um, we should be winning every single game. You know, there's there's no doubt about that. We we should be competitive in every single game. Um, from a RFU point of view, are we working on a four year cycle? Like, I, I I don't know. It, are we just about winning the next World Cup? Are we that bothered about Six Nations? Are we that bothered about all internationals? I know. I think, um, or rather, I think he had a an eighty percent win rate. Uh, calendar year win rate that he needed to maintain, you know, as long as he was uh, keeping that uh, win rate up, then he was fine going up to the World Cups and this year's not been the best. But 12 games in 2018, he was 50-50. 12 games in 2022, he was 50-50. And he got us to a World Cup final in 2019. So why has that not been looked at again and gone, oh, he can do it. Uh, my personal opinion to get rid of him is ridiculous at this time, but this year we haven't seen um we haven't seen the style of rugby that we need to see from England. My my personal opinion is that the coaching group's not good enough. 
You've got yeah. Eddie at the top, but I don't believe the coaching group below him is good enough, especially yeah. in the back in the with the attack. Um, it's a big step up to the to the international stage from where um, the attack coach has been, and he's not been in the game for a very long time. Maybe that whole league background thing has played in his favour, where you know league coaches are so well regarded at the moment in our sport that he's maybe that's given him a few kudos points to get the job, but. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he should have been hired in the first place, to be honest, because that's yeah. where we all we've looked poor in attack. There's yeah, and I think there's two things. I think the first thing is at this time, I think it is a silly to think to sack him, although performance-wise wasn't good. He's been telling us for the last few years it's about the World Cup. Gets us yeah. to the World Cup, we win the World Cup, he's right. Gets us to the World Cup, he fails. It's an easy and cheaper pack buyout for the RFU. And secondly, I think with the bats coaching, especially. And love him or hate him, I think he's a class player. But I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron Farrell won the backs coaching session, the back sessions in training, because he is very much dictatorial. Sounds really negative, but he understands what he wants, and I think he knows. And especially when Ben Young was playing nine, that that pivot between them two, they very much knew how they wanted the backs to play rugby. And I'm not sure anyone could have ever tapped into that, um, really, if I'm honest. But. I mean, if we go and win the World Cup now, the RFU have made the right decision. <laughs> and then they'll be able to put their put their hats down and go, look, listen to us next time. I think from from now moving forward, regardless of any what results we have in the Six Nations, and we, I think we've got two warm-up games, haven't we, before the World Cup starts. Yeah. Regardless of the results in those games, the RFU have win-win. Yeah. But Can't win the Six Nations, it's too soon. Yeah, yeah, good moment, coach. Yeah, sorry, but it's just the way it is. Or Cockers has done really well as a reserve, you know, stepping up into the job. We won a few games. Yeah, we were right to sack Eddie. So that for them, it's a win. But for us, uh, we're going to deal with. Yeah, it will be labelled the transition period of English rugby, and they've already come out and said, as have as have the Premiership themselves. But they, you know, if you're going to help the Premiership relaunch again in. 24, 25, which is going to be another another whole excuse of oh, if it doesn't happen, well, we're trying to focus on our elite in the in the country and try and build more players to cover it. It's all fucking bullshit. Um, <laughs> let's get away from the depressing part of rugby and let's have a look at uh, Lincoln Howard. From your opinion, before we get uh, tables and results and and stuff up, how has the season gone for Lincoln so far? Um, it's gone. It's gone pretty well. Um, we've, um, you know, we had players at the start of the season talking about, you know, going unbeaten, and you know, we're as a coaching group trying to temper that because going unbeaten is so difficult to achieve, uh, and it was likely never going to happen because of the we had so many unknowns in the league this year. Um, but ultimately, where we are right now, we're, we're happy with where we've been. We're um, disappointed with a couple of results, um, namely losing at home to Mellish. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, we we lost away at Hinkley, who were running away with the league. Hinkley says yeah. a team, um, but we were we were massive in that game and arguably the better, arguably the better team when we should have won. Um, so the league overall so far for the first team going really well. Second team going really well, ladies going well. So the senior setup of the clubs um, going really well at the moment. 
I think yeah. I said really a few times there. <laughs> <laughs> but just looking at your at the, the ones league, uh, for those who like to have the table up at the same time, it's counties one, Midlands East, North in brackets. Yeah. Um, it kind of is. There's obviously Hinkley twos at the top. They're not untouchable, but yourself, Mellish, Loughborough, and Hinkley, yeah. that top four seem to have a, a nice bit of breathing space with Elkiston uh, with about 14 points behind you, behind yourselves. Does it feel like in that league there's much of a gap between you top four and, and the rest of the rest of the league, or is it still quite tight and that's just how results have gone? Um no, it yeah. Yeah, it's di- it's difficult to say no that us four are better than the rest of the league, but it, it does feel like there's a little bit of a step there. I mean, um, you know, we, we look at Ilkeston and Market Raising as two massive games, I think, mm-hmm. from the last few years, um, where you know, we've beaten each other back and forth. We beat Market Raising at home for the first time, um, ever at our we've only been at our place for eight or nine years. It's the first time we've beaten market raising at home this this season. Um, you know they have dropped off a little bit. Ilkeston have dropped off a little bit, and we've li- we've lifted a little bit. So mm. it does feel almost like there's a top four and a the rest of them kind of thing. Yeah, and you touched on your second team there as well, and it must be lovely. And I mean, I'm not saying we don't have that in other clubs, don't. But seeing your your second team, if the RFU site is correct, have gone unbeaten so far. Seven from seven, scoring a lot of heights and not conceding a lot. For those who can't see it, scored three hundred and five points and conceded thirty three. That that must be quite a blessing for yourself as a as a DOR to see the second team uh, are doing what they can do. Yeah, it, it it's uh, it's brilliant. I mean, there's the the RFU uh, website isn't updated fully all the time so it's not got every single result on there and all of the points scored and that kind of stuff but I think the imps are it's either 11 or 12 games unbeaten now this year with oh, wow. these so, um you know in, in the league that they're in is if you get 50 unanswered points the game gets called uh, and then it gets the game on principles come into it and stuff so that's right. happened a couple of times already um but I mean ultimately the after the restructure last year, they were put in a league which our third team should be in, really. So, you know, we we'd expect to be going out there and beating teams, but um, you know that that will change next year. Hopefully, if um, the Midlands are, if you approve my request for um, our second team to be added to the pyramid, so they'll be entering counties four or five, whichever one it is. Yeah, we we've just yeah, yeah we we've just done the same, haven't we? Feel with our with our twos and I I, I play in our twos and I tell you what it's a uh, it's a massive massive change because playing for the the twos the season before we went into it when it was just the, the merit leagues as they call them you know you're sometimes picking up games against clubs which against teams which it is just a shit it's Friday morning we've got twelve men these three haven't played in five years but let's give them a phone call whereas. In the pyramid, you do get even the, the second teams are sometimes not the easiest teams to play. So what I'm trying to say, so we we have there's first teams in that league, and we've always sit like the teams like Cleethorpes, which I've never played, and they've always been a team that probably we would expect to go and beat as a previous second team. But you get a friend in the league with first teams, and no matter what level the first team is. 
they often train, a majority of them train and they have a structure and they have a game plan. No matter whether that's level nine or level one, there is that. And second teams tend not to have that as much. I mean, we're we're a little bit blessed that we've got some wise heads in our twos and and they kind of get rugby and they've come down again. Um, so it is a it's a massive change in how rugby is for and I think yeah, I think it's good as well, because I don't know, Phil, you might be able to say it and and I get you're probably looking forward to it, Dougie, where it if you've got two senior teams at Cheney, not that we often have, but you can teach the same game plan. And that way, you know, if there is ever a need, you can interchange players quite comfortably because they at least understand the aim of the game plan. If they're not there to get it yet, that's fine. That could be worked on. But if there is a game plan being planned and played too, then it's a lot easier to get people on board. Um, so the league. Big game, supposedly, on Saturday. <laughs> you said that uh, market raising is one you target. If it goes ahead on Saturday, are you comfortable? Have you had a lot of lads already on Christmas parties, eating lots of buffet food and uh, <laughs> enjoying themselves? Um, yeah, training numbers. Uh, so we had to shift training this week to Monday. The numbers weren't the greatest. I think everyone's just, they've seen the weather forecast and we know it's going to get pulled off. Um, it's a massive game to go to go over to Market Raise and they're our local derby. There's always been a local rivalry with them. You know, traditionally in the last uh, few years, they were, you know, even two leagues above Lincoln. Um, you know, they've come down, we've come up and we're in the same level now and then arguably we're going past their level, uh, even though they're still investing, especially in their coaching, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, it, it, any game against Rays and all the old boys will tell me over and over, clearly I'm not a local, but, you know, over and over, Raisin is the game, Raisin is the game, Raisin is the game. So if it does happen, it'll be uh, it'll be a good one to, uh, to to have, but I'm not sure the uh, the weather's going to let us. Um, no. and it, yeah, this is an interesting point, actually. It's something that I, I've been at Pavs for fucking hell, 10 years, um, but when I first came, not from Knotts, obviously, when I heard, oh, yeah, we, we've got to go to Newark and beat Newark, or we've got to go to Bridgeford and beat Bridgeford. Yeah. it's. I think it's very easy to tie yourself in if you're a clubman in the sense that you've come through. Like, we, I know the fact that our boys will be targeting Bridgeford in the new year because we went down there, lost, and they're just down the road. I knew it, we always target as a twos team because they're just up the road, whatever. Is it, as a coach, do you think it's better... When it comes to them games to get, is it better to be from the club and know that Raisin's a big rivalry? We've always got to be Raisin, or is it better to be able to go? Actually, I'm just gonna. I could take a step back because I'm not massively in that rivalry. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just waffling, but I know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, um, I would answer that in one of the first questions a new coach at any club should ask is, "What are the big local derbies?" And what games do we need to target? Because if, if I come into the week building up to Raisin and I'm disjointed, pulled away, and I'm not buying into the emotional energy of it and, you know, the local rivalry, well, what, how are the lads going to buy into that? So mm. I have to, act from my opinion, I have to at least match their level of energy. And if not, sometimes go past their level of energy because if they're lulling, lulling a bit, uh, hitting a lull in the training of it. And I'm like, I have to push that. Lads, it's raising this weekend, you know, come on. And I'm, 
hopefully other teams who want to beat Lincoln are doing the same thing. But as a coach, you, you have to go into a club, know what those big games are from the off, know who the best teams in the league are so you can target your training around those. You have to buy into the local game of it. I understand the point of, you know, do you step away and look at it objectively? But I don't think you can, not at this level anyway. I like that answer. I like that. <laughs> before, before Phil says anything, I wasn't digging at our coaches for being well involved. In <laughs> Fucking hate him. No, I don't. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Liam. Hi, Liam. Um, <laughs> he's a fan. Um, <laughs> yeah, so normally, Dougie, we, we just ask people to give us a a story uh, from ATOR now, considering you've been in the RAF. Oh, sorry, you've been in the army. I do apologise, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and done plenty of rugby in your time. You must have one decent story for us to uh, to hear. Um, I mean, I've had two really big tours as a in the military. Um, one was to uh, to Belgium, um, and one was to Las Vegas. So I think the Vegas one is probably the, the best shout because it's pretty <laughs> old. It's pretty <laughs> unbelievable. Um, so 2011, um, I think they still run it, but there's the, the Blackjack Sevens is out there, ran out of Las Vegas. So 2009, we started the planning to go in 2011 to go as an amateur team with, um, it wasn't even the full army side or anything like that. It was just a, a very small RAF station that I was serving on. Um, and we had a good rugby team. Um, and we set up to take 15 lads to Vegas um, to go and play in the sevens, at the, in the, at the absolute lowest level of the Blackjack sevens, but just, just to get over there. Funding was put in place, everything, you know, good to go. Um, and then it was Jonah Lomu's cousin, I think, punched a referee in a league game in America. Um, and the way it worked out was Las Vegas didn't have an athletic commission for rugby um, and it was run by California I think this is what I remember um, California basically banned him, banned his club from rugby uh, which was the Vegas club I think uh, and basically the Blackjack Sevens didn't go ahead that year um, but the, the company running it because they'd been banned from all rugby communications couldn't inform teams that it hadn't uh it hadn't no finished. way <laughs> really weird so some teams found out and we we found out just beforehand but because we used we got a load of sponsorship for it and we'd use some public money and, and by that i mean the RAF had helped fund it partly and the army had helped fund it partly we had to go and play so we <laughs> we, we, ended up, <laughs> we ended up playing a game we found a pub team in Las Vegas uh, and ironically Blackheath so Blackheath had paid it for everything as well and we ended up pulling up at a, a school rugby pitch and we uh, we went in a stretched out pink Hummer limousine there's 15 military guys getting out of the back of a stretched Hummer limousine to play Blackheath and a pub, te a pub team in a little three way round game uh, and it was just absolutely mental. And then we ended up going back to this uh, pub's team, pub team's pub, which is like an Irish themed pub in Vegas, uh, out in the suburbs. Got smashed singing Alouetta to some of their ladies, which went down quite well when they, cause they didn't know what it was. 
Uh, it, yeah, it's just an unbelievable trip. But I think I paid three hundred pounds for eight days in Las Vegas and um, got some Amazing. good rugby. Yeah, yeah. I won't good ask rugby. you what you spent the three hundred quid out in Vegas. Not <laughs> <laughs> enough to get into a casino. There. That was it. Just three hundred pounds to get out there and accommodation, everything. So it was very, very funded. But I won a few quid on blackjack, which was good because my roommate was in was using the room, shall we say, for a while. So I went <laughs> and hit the tables for a bit, and uh, yeah, so I made a few quid as well. Which was nice. But I good using the room, we've all used that. Oh yeah, uh, he's just using the room. I've come down and uh, have a drink. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I've never shared on a lad's holiday. It's not. I'm not brave enough to walk in on that. Um, I'm just jealous. I don't know where it goes. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that comment came out my mouth. Um, Madugi, I can't think of anything else. Apart from you mentioned earlier, clearly can't think of something else. You mentioned earlier uh, to me that, that the third team at uh, Lincoln are struggling. Uh, I think it's something that obviously we're seeing at Pavs massively um, and looking at uh, some of the, the leagues, they've clearly dwindled in numbers because um, teams have had to drop out a month, two months in. Um, what, what are you doing at Lincoln that... If anything, obviously you're trying to get a third team up that could be passed on to other clubs struggling. What kind of initiatives have you put in place? Um, yeah. How are you trying to attract people back to rugby? Um, I, th I think, you know, we've been really lucky with having, you know, 35, 40 lads at training every week um, who, are, who are feeding the first and the second team. Uh, and like you said earlier, you know, trying to build that one game ethos so that the twos can play the same game as the ones and build that up. You have to completely break that and just treat third team rugby as social rugby. Like there's lads playing third team rugby who I've never seen, literally never seen them, but they're putting a Lincoln shirt on and having a laugh. And ultimately that's what's important to me. They're getting out and we're, put, we're giving them the platform to go out and play rugby. Um, for, for us at Lincoln, ultimately we've got an old boy who used to play um I don't know if he ever played first team, but he's played twos for a long time, played in and out of the threes and twos. Um, and after COVID, when we're getting that player base back, he has driven it himself um, with with help, but he's absolutely driven just getting the old boys back in. Um, for us in Lincoln, we, we're, we're lucky that we have a university. Um, mm. We get a couple of players from that sometimes. Um, but any anywhere you have a player base, you've just got to, you've got to talk. You know, Bob Hoskins was right back in the day on the BT adverts. It is good to talk. You have to reach out and just offer rugby. Because if you get one player by asking a whole university, does anyone want to play on Saturday? Purely social rugby. Anyone want a game? If you get one player, you've had success. And it's taking you a five-minute phone call. For, for me, it's about putting rugby on for people. You know, whether that is men's, ladies, you know, we're, we're, there's an LGBTQ team getting set up in Lincoln that we're getting established with the club. Oh, I just want to put rugby on for everyone. And it doesn't matter what level. It doesn't matter what commitment you can have to training. There is always rugby at every level for everyone. You know, we always say it's a game for all shapes and sizes. It's, it's not just that. It's a game for everyone, every gender, sexuality, whatever, old, doesn't doesn't matter. You can have an 18-year-old Colt playing in a third team with a 21-year-old uni lad who might be really good but doesn't travel home on a weekend to play for his old club. And then you might have a 50-year-old bloke. You're all in the same team. 
But ultimately, you're all playing rugby. You're all going to be in the bar afterwards having a laugh and you're going you're gonna to have fun. And that is absolutely the whole point for me. If you can get out and play the game that we all love and have fun doing it, then we've had success. I mean, there is no better answer. And I think when I first, when I can first memories of rugby, when I watched my uncles and what have you, there, it was more third team looking teams. I mean, obviously the higher up you go, the the backs, the forwards start looking like backs and it blows your fucking mind because um, there's a prop which can sprint. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's, it's that demographic of, of third team and social rugby, so because there is more than more than that. That is what that is where the, the true first memories of rugby are made. Cause I remember and you were probably the same doggy and I feel like I don't know what you you were born good, but <laughs> uh, and you just didn't realise it. But I remember my first senior game, I was the youngest by apart from a mate by a good 20, 20, 25 years, and I was 17. So you, you learn, and that's where the dirty rugby's played as well. <laughs> that's where you really learn your training. So I like I like that answer. Um, Phil, have you got anything more for Dougie before we wrap up today? No, I think that's been brilliant. Um, one thing we might want to touch on is just sort of girls and ladies participation you've got at Lincoln, Dougie. Yeah, Um so we we've had a we've had a ladies team for a few years, um, and then they were they were cutting around level five, I think, um, and then like got things together last year, got promoted, so they're they're playing level four now this year. Um, won a couple, lost a couple, well, won three, lost two, I think. Um, you know, firmly mid table in in a league with, uh, you know, it's got West Bridgeford and Long Eaton in from down your way. Um, the, you know, it, it's regional, it's national challenge, it's called. So they're going all the way over to the Welsh border. They've got Bridge North, a few teams around Birmingham. Um, meant to be playing Canuck this weekend, whether the weather allows, we'll see. But, um, you know, f- from a lady's point of view, the, trying to get the ladies in is is the biggest thing because there's not a massive girls section. I've found that, you know, looking into it, a lot of the schools don't play rugby anymore. Uh, especially for the girls. So you're not getting that natural flow that you get with the boys, um, which I think is really going to affect women's rugby. And again, going back to the money that we may have potentially wasted, if you want to call it that, with uh, the Eddie scenario, that could have gone into girls' rugby at, at the school level. Um, so you know, we're doing everything we can there with pitch-up and plays for girls to get them into the game. We've got a few um, NLD representative late, uh, girls. One's got a game this weekend. Um, you need to feed that ladies team. But one of the biggest problems we have, having got promoted, strangely, is that girls who are playing in leagues below um, are worried about playing at our level. And if I if I had a message for us specifically, but to any girl who wants, lady who wants to play at, at our level at National Challenge 1 or higher, you have to give it a go. Don't be scared that it's too high a level because there are girls... Uh, who are coming to train with us and playing ladies rugby on a Saturday in NC1 when they've never played before because the the relative level isn't that high. You, you probably couldn't do it in the men's game. Not probably. You definitely couldn't do it in the men's game. But the relative level in the ladies game means that new players can come and play at that level. And because we're lucky, we're blessed with a good coaching group and, and a good senior ladies group, uh, you know, I think we've got... F- five NLD players in our in our first team. Um, 
don't be scared, don't be put off by it. Come and play and you'll see the level straight away and realise if you are playing lower level that you can operate at this level as well. Um, but it's about that player throughput. That's We need to invest in the girls' game specifically to if we want to feed uh, women's rugby. But again, I think it goes to the RFU's attitude of they're only feeding elite player pathway stuff to feed for them the Red Roses. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's completely right what you said. It's all relativity, isn't it? Because, like you said, you definitely could do it at the men's level. But luckily for for young women at the minute and older women, um, the journey is it was still quite early in that journey of women's rugby being, sadly, a respected sport, as in sadly, it's only just, <laughs> we're just at the start yeah. of that journey. It's not sad that it's just about there. I mean, the clubs that I've been to who have, a strong women's team and it's thriving it's so much fun so yeah. much fun um, yeah. and there's a proper it's a proper club feeling about everyone there i mean it's very easy to go to clubs which you've only got men set up and it feels clubby but it feels very masculine and, and male orientated and willie's putting shots in people's bum holes and that type of stuff might do yeah. that as well we've never played it but there's so, so much more of a this is a community feeling um yeah I completely echo that. Completely echo that. Um, thank you very much, Dougie. Picking your brain's been mint. I did reach out, like I said, uh, some of the lads for funny stories. The only one I've just recently got through is you're a better kicker than Johnny Wilkinson. Uh, that right. is... Johnny W, so I'm assuming it was Wilkinson. Yeah, I don't know. Is that is that Mr. Kelleher as well, is it? I don't it know. It might have been, yeah. Yeah, where you're better than the lads that you're coaching and you still don't understand why they can't do it, but, you know. Are you telling us he's not a very good player? Who, Mr. Kelleher or Mr. Wilkinson? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that. I'll leave that with you. To discuss very, <laughs> very, very different levels. But, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you very much, Dougie. Um, Phil, we are ending the pod. You've had a long time to think about this. Two weeks almost. Do you have any wise words to oh, give us no. before you go? No, 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 you've caught me. Uh, I mean, how I cannot be prepared for that question every time, I don't know, but no, I'm not ready for this week. I was going to say, this is our third season, you really should have yeah. a, a notebook of wise words. Um, this is the last one before Christmas. We'll be back in the new year if we remember. Oh, we didn't wear a Christmas hat. Oh, no. Me with a beard and 20 stone wearing a Christmas hat. That was a fucking joke waiting to happen, wasn't it? So I just avoided that one. <laughs> All right, and thank you very much, Doggy. Thank you very much, Phil. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, everyone. Bye.